Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the weekly episode of The Rut. Thank you for listening and downloading us. Thank you especially because last week our figures were enormous. It's amazing because Barnsley was on. It usually plummets when Barnsley's on there. But so thank you very much indeed. It's been an amazing weekend of, of rugby, European rugby. We now know the quarterfinalists in both the major competitions. There was just some fantastic stuff. It's also less than a fortnight till the Six Nations. Probably one of the most eagerly awaited Six Nations and most competitive that there's been for years. And on the weekend, um, another brilliant effort by the media when Owen Farrell uh, missed a game because he had a a tiny bruise on his left fingernail. The media uh, rallied to the cause and we had it being a dynamic, horrible injury which could cost England the Triple Crown and the Grand Slam in about five minutes. So uh, that was brilliant overreaction by the boys. I don't think Farrell uh, Owen's got any problem at all. We've got a great panel today, even better than last week because Barnsley's not here. Nick Easter was one of the, I'd say, the, the heroes of the era at Twickenham. Absolutely adored by the public. Played nearly 300 games for Harlequins and over 50 for England. Nick, does it feel like sometimes you played nearly 300 games for Harlequins? Um, it does, yeah, especially when you're getting up in the morning. But uh, I've learned to deal with it now. Uh, thanks, Stephen. What, what a generous introduction that was. Also, a couple of things have happened since, you, since Nick was last with us. First of all, there's the arrival of a new Easter, Jacob Easter. <laughs> And Nick has uh, been telling us before we came on there all the ruses he uses not to look after Jacob and and um, make sure his missus does. But um, no, only, sure. only only in the nocturnally. Oh, only I see. Nocturnally. Only nocturnally. Okay. Okay. I'm absolutely adoring the daytimes with him. Okay. Fine. Okay. Well, he stepped in. Picky and choosing. Stepped in on the loose ball pretty quickly there. Also, amazingly, and well, in my opinion, and Nick's, I'm sure, um, he leaves fairly soon to take up um, a post coaching the Sharks in Super Rugby. Nick, uh, you've already got the curry cup off, Pat, with because you helped uh, um, take uh, the boys to victory in that. But Super Rugby, what an amazing opportunity. Yeah, fantastic. Um, left Quinns in the summer and went off and did the curry cup, as you mentioned. And I just think from a coaching perspective, um, well, general rugby perspective, you know, to experience you know their top competition over there, you know, going on tour to Argentina, Australia, New Zealand, you know, to Singapore, as well as obviously the home games, and just just to get involved in the culture, the sort of philosophy, um, the understanding of what rugby means, and clearly, obviously, the competition because it is played a little bit differently. You know, we know it's fast and loose over there; it's refereed a little bit differently, and I think all those nuances and that experience 
um, you know, will stand me in good stead in my coaching career. But also from a life perspective, <laughs> you know, we're sort of trading. Look, I live uh, in Southfields in uh, southwest London. Absolutely love it. You know, not far from Wimbledon Common and the Wombles and everything. But uh, to have a sort of nice four bed house on a cliff top overlooking the beach where I don't think they see a winter day or a day drop below sort of 20 or 18 degrees Celsius be a very enjoyable time for me and the family for six months. Well, there's no need to rub it <coughs> in. I just ask you what it's like coaching Super Rugby, that's all. <coughs> Secondly, we've got Nigel Botherway, long-time um, a rugby columnist, a reporter with the Sunday Times, high-level rugby coach, as I keep on embarrassing him by saying, a rower and a cyclist. And I think one of the things you never mentioned before is that you're... You've got um, age awards at the Tour de France Senior Championships. <laughs> so exact- you've, actually, you've actually won a, 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 a stage of the Tour de France in the seniors. I have won my dreams. No, <laughs> those reports are slightly exaggerated. I've ridden lots of stages of the Tour de France and I've won gold medals in my age group. But uh, that's for well, the, that's that's what for I just the, said. That's for the times rather than winning the stage. And right. I always set the target to get the gold medal for the age group below me. But uh, Okay. All right, he's still a little bit out of my league, mate. He's also <laughs> most famous as in his role as the Cod Father. Nigel is the host of Fisherman's Blues, which is um, Talk Sports weekly fishing program. He's been on it for ages, um, and ma- massively pos- popular. Cod Codfather, yes, it's almost is. as big as Chris Evans. Also, is it true recently? Could you comment on this that you did catch an absolutely key fish? You may not want to talk about it because I know it's private. But did you not catch a gigantic fish somewhere that you're not really supposed to talk about? I did, that's right. And I'm not really supposed to talk about <laughs> okay, it, but it's, it's, it's true. Most, yeah, most, most fish pretend, you know, exaggerate what they've caught, but others play it down. But something I mentioned to you off-air last yeah. time we were in, um, that you, I thought as a Welshman you would know, that Gareth Edwards, most people know he's a very keen trout and salmon angler, but Gareth Edwards for quite a long time held the British pike record with a 45-pound pike. How's that? Unbelievable. How big is that? 45 pounds. About that big, yeah. 45 pounds, six, almost a sack of potatoes. And I know Saracens used to have a fishing club. Richard Hill, really keen angler. And you probably know Nick Nick Evans. Yeah, Mad loves keen it. on his fishing. Snapper he absolutely nickname, loves yeah. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. likes his predator fishing. Okay, <clears throat> you've avoided the answer, but um, that's about the key fish, that's fine. We've also got only Simon Halliday, who is only the chairman of European Professional Club Rugby, the body which runs both European competitions and is doing so if I may say so Simon increasingly successfully Um, and you've put the number of top uh, outstanding rugby officials in the world you've boosted the numbers from one to two so well well, well done weekend you must be you must have been delighted oh absolutely delighted I think all both competitions it's unprecedented level of performance was incredible whatever was riding on whichever match you happened to see so yeah, couldn't couldn't be happier, and the, the quarterfinals are just eye-watering um, in both competitions. So um, I'm very conscious, by the way, uh, that I'm following on from Barnsley. Mm-hmm. We both studied at university together simultaneously, but um, I've got obviously an intellectual challenge to uh, keep up with uh, the Barnes standards. I wouldn't say that, but okay, fair enough. I didn't say what sort of challenge. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Simon, incidentally, remains. Uh, I insist that this is still my opinion. Part, part of the greatest centre partnership I've seen playing the game. Uh, people talk about Walter Little and Frank Bunce, etc., whoever they may be, but Halliday and Guscott, admittedly playing outside Barnsley, 
still still got something to surpass. And I don't want tickets for the final. That's not why I'm saying that. <laughs> Simon, um, the weekend, this is the first time where we're under new regulations where if you win the top, come out top in the pool, you could possibly stay at home till the very end of the tournament. So Saracens, for instance, may well, if they carry on, may, may well not play at home. There's no draw for the semi-final. Yeah, and it's, you know, what we're trying to do is make sure that, uh, you know, we're reflecting the performance, you know, in every game. So, Ultimately, you can't relax, and you know, you're getting genuinely the best all-round team going through the system. Yeah, it, it's always up for debate, you know, home and away. And it, it, in Europe, it really matters because you know, home advantage is huge, as, as you're seeing week in, week out. So yeah, I mean, the, the best teams uh, will win the tournament, and uh, you know, Racing and uh, and Leinster and Saracens seem to have the form. But you know, people are there by right, and the, mm. there's. A big weekend up in Edinburgh, by the looks of it, isn't there? Which uh, you know, Mr. Cockrell is going to be making yeah. loads of. Nick, um, it, there's no um, English clubs don't have unlimited resources, um, but in in an era where there's promotion and relegation and, and uh, an incredibly competitive league, as opposed to the Pro 14, where there's no relegation, the onus is very much on 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 the English clubs and the players to to you know put their shoulders to the wheel if uh, or, or more. Did you? Um, uh, found it difficult in your in your playing career to concentrate on both competitions because someone like Munster they don't have to field the first team now almost until they they come out in the in the quarter final. Well, you're right there. I was I was actually doing a bit of fact finding down at Munster on uh, Monday and Tuesday last week. You know, very generous of them to sort of let me in um, behind sort of closed doors, and the, we all know it. But <laughs> the biggest thing that strikes me is they're playing, you know, they just played Gloucester, who had 17 injuries, I think, on the Friday night, or 17 squad injuries, probably not first team. And I sort of asked Johan van Graham, I said, have you got a full squad to pick from? Yeah. Hmm. You know, yes, he does have a full squad to pick from. And I'd just be interested. I know Saracen's had a few boys back, you know, the Vunapolas and Mario Toji, but how rarely that happens. And we do know that, you know, that's a bit of an issue. Um, to answer your question, no, we, we loved it. Um, and the funny thing was, I was you know, at Harlequins, I think, you know, we, we pushed probably at the, you know, the brink of the salary cap or might have been just below it throughout my time with Dino and Connor there. But it was just a reflection of actually how well you, you were playing generally in the season. I remember we had that fantastic run. Unfortunately, you know, Bloodgate happened in one year, but we were second in the league and we, we flew through. The same happened, I think, in 2012, 2013. We reached the quarterfinals. Um, we didn't get any further and probably fighting on two fronts by the end of that season might have been a bit much for the squad mm-hmm. size we had. But in terms of, you know, whenever the tournament approached, you know, there was a buzz in the air. It was exciting. It wasn't right. This is just another game like the Premiership had been. You know, you did have an eye on when these European games were, were mm-hmm. occurring. Nigel, um, <laughs> we always um, trying to sell rugby to our our, um, our bosses because we, we, we love their football. Okay, Well, as, as we all love our football too, but... Um, does the European event, um, you know, like we can remember a time when there wasn't one, but does the European event still have the same appeal to you? Is it is it rising in appeal for you? Is it more interesting, or do you have reservations about it in, in any way? My slight reservation, and I was going to ask Nick and Simon what they thought. You know, you sometimes get the impression with the Premiership, it's becoming a bit like football with the Champions League. Like teams spend so much time qualifying, yet then in danger of never actually winning winning anything. What do you boys think to that? Yeah, I, I understand that. I, I think it, you know, I get asked the question all the time, you know, when uh, the Irish didn't do very well a few years ago, is this an Anglo-French competition? Well, you know, will the Welsh ever do anything in Scotland? They're never going to do anything. And it's cyclical. I think every domestic league 
has to operate in its own environment and there's no point trying to compare one to the other because you have promotion relegation in Premiership, you don't in Pro 14. You do in Top 14, but frankly it's pretty technical because they're always the same teams that go up or down. Yeah. The big teams never go down. Whereas this year, a big team will go down from the Premiership who've mm. got internationals, yep, stadia yep. facilities, multi-million pounds, things that you don't have that in France. So it, it's wherever you look, it's different. I think... Um, it's still aspirational. I think, you know, what do you want to achieve? You know, some teams will have their li- their ambitions capped. You can't actually recreate it. But the fact is that to be the best in Europe now, you really have to have depth. You have to have resources. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't have it, you, you know, you do what Newcastle did. Two incredible wins. They've got so many injuries, they've got no option but to scale back and think, right, that's right. To concentrate on survival. Mm. There's not much you can do about that. It's great for the fans, though, Steve, isn't it? <sighs> you know, when you see, you know, Leicester fans or whoever who've been up and down the country, played everywhere in the Premiership, and when you, if you know, if you meet them for a coffee, you bump into them in a bar, the places, you know, you get couples who've been all over Europe, had fantastic weekends in that respect. It's brilliant, isn't oh, it? Oh, I think it is, but the thing is as well, <clears throat> I think that the old focus on going with the Six Nations, because Six Nations is so truncated now. You can't you can't go leave your family twice in three weeks sort of thing like you used to, but Simon, you you brought in the concept of of, of moving the final around, but it's clear now that actually loads of people are following the final, not necessarily with their team in it. There's just a huge groundswell of people just following the competition. When I first got involved uh, along with Vincent Gaia, we we looked and, and the organisation was looking at trying to do things a bit differently not just going around the old national stadia which was becoming quite sort of old school really so and last year for the first time we went outside the core six nations went to Bilbao and, and it was a clear sellout and we're already sold out in Newcastle which makes us you know obviously <coughs> a little bit regretful that we haven't got a bigger stadium but that's just testament to the popularity it's destination rugby and we're being told the fan village is expecting up to 20,000 people along the banks of the, the River Tyne, you know, in the area we've designated, it's just going to be a huge party. So we, we need to keep that going, and uh, but we need to be aware that the popularity is growing. So we're going to have to push up our thoughts on stadia. It's Marseille the, the year after, which is mid-60s, thousands, mm. which, uh, you know, is another step up from Newcastle. And we haven't decided after that, but, you know, we've got to keep that going because it's a wonderful, wonderful kind of match experience, which everyone wants. Uh, <coughs> just speaking for myself, I'm so glad you, you, you got off that little circle of Cardiff, Twickenham, Murrayfield, Dublin, because that, 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 that stopped working. Nick, um, let's go back to the weekend's action. You saw a couple of the games. Um, Munster and Exeter, um, you must have expected that sort of contest because you spent time with them, but what an absolutely ferocious thing it was. It was a proper test match, wasn't it? Um, yeah, you watch the first three minutes and them hammering into the breakdowns, and now you think, this can't last, this can't <laughs> last, and boy, it did. Um, nothing, nothing between the teams really. Um, you know, the interesting thing I think Exeter will take from it um, is, you know, I know there's the extra way in terms of kicking for the corner is, you know, when you get to these sort of knockout stages, you know, scoreboard pressure, um, mm. you know, knocking over, no guarantee you're going to knock over the kick, of course. Um, but I think they were terrific. Um, could have gone either way. There's nothing to separate both sides and one of them had to go through. And I think... You know, if, you, if you're going to give the small percentages to Munster, it's clearly about how you manage your squad, is what we've already touched mm-hmm. on. And, um, you know, extra 
they're the sort of side you'd back amongst anyone to go away from home somewhere in Toman Park and get a result. Yeah, and yeah. boy, they were they were very close. N- Nigel, was it um, in, eventually <coughs> that uh, Exeter started really badly? But it was it is not a lesson that you've got to be off the mark because actually their poorest performance of the season probably was at home against Munster in the first game. That's right. Now you've got to take and again, that's another thing I was thinking about asking Nick because. Exeter have got this fantastic catch and drive that they rely on for you know so many of their points and it makes me think you know I always think the difference between a ruck and a maul a ruck you don't go forward and it makes me wonder why they don't maul a bit more around the pitch to get you know to get some really good go forward you know just to be a bit different yeah the mauls it's come back a little bit this year isn't it yeah. but the last few years just been devalued because you know quite frankly I don't think referees like refereeing it yeah um, so they allow these people to swim up the side which I just think is ridiculous and makes you know, it makes it even more messy um, and collapse because they, they they don't really like refereeing. It's tough. It's tough to referee. You know, refereeing both sides. Yeah, sure. You know, we're, we're, you know, you're looking at what's going on aerially. Then when they come down, then as it evolves and everything like that, it's very it's tough. You know, they def- definitely need help. But some guy comes around and providing yeah. he doesn't change his yeah, grip, doesn't change his bind. But then they do change their bind because then they well, bind onto the ball. Yeah. Of course, it's so it's like well, he's changed his bind they're, they're and locked the ball up. I can see rest of it, but if you were coaching Exeter, for instance, you have a few more malls. You suck them in if you want to go wide, or you've got more chance of getting a penalty, haven't you? Yeah, I think I think they did go with that yeah. uh, because they score a lot of their pick and go in their yeah, malls yeah. where they score all their tries, isn't it? Certainly this year, a lot more of them. Um, I think Munster put decent pressure on their line out. There's a few yeah. not straight towards the end, a few stolen. You know, there's one obviously five yards out, wasn't there? It was yeah, stolen yeah. Um, when Billy Holland, the substitution ga- uh, substitute, came on. Um, look, tight game. Could have gone either way. Maybe take your points next yeah. time. But look, that's not to say that the result would have been any different. Yeah. Can, I give, little, can to... I give you a little solution? All these rucks and malls. Just get the ball back. Get it out to the backs and play. <laughs> <coughs> okay. On, Otherwise, on, you know, I lived in an area where Dean Richards used to maul the ball and <clears> used to and disappear up his jumper. It, so <laughs> and, you know, that wasn't the reason we won Grand Slams, by the way. But Because uh, the back's got the ball with a bit of space. Come on. Something else on that, Simon, that you might agree <clears> with. Barnsley mentioned it in the paper a few weeks ago, and I was going to ask you this, Nick, again. I wonder, from a safety point of view, to stop the frustration of fans and quicker ball... What would happen if you banned jackaling? Well, I think you'd just take away the essence of rugby, to be honest, Nigel, yeah. because rugby union, not rugby league, rugby union is about a contest for possession. Yeah. That's what's so wonderful about it. you know. But wouldn't it be... the contest be like an old-fashioned ruck trying to drive over? Well, that's that's changing the rucking laws. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're not allowed to, you know, you're not allowed to handle the ball on the ground, are you? No. Um, so whether they bought something like that in... No, I just, I meant just if think if you stayed on your that guy who was the jackler and if he stayed on his feet and drove over like you used to. Well, they can do that. That's yeah, an yeah. option for guys that aren't aren't good at staying um, strong over the ball yeah. like that. They find themselves off balance. You know, I know I coach out the breakdown. What are your strengths? If you're not great in that position, go straight through. Take yeah, the first yeah, guy away. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a different debate now, isn't it, about the safety around the ruck? But generally, everyone's a much better at doing you know that poaching, jackling yeah. job now. I'm just going to check, check with the producers if Nigel is allowed to take <coughs> over the show like this. Is that a thumbs up or down? <laughs> Simon, I know you've got to wear, you can't wear your English hat cause when you're chairman, but there's been great talk about the bad performances of the English and it's not England not going to do anything this year. If you saw Saracens on Saturday and you were backing against, betting against an England team, you would have been very worried by Sunday. Because I thought they were superb. Yeah, they were. I, I saw that game. It was an outstanding game of rugby for a start. I mean, mm. the, the Glasgow actually were a few men short, but they they really had they a go at them. Really didn't they? had a go, and, and mm. Saracens had to dig deep to win that game, or whatever the scoreline. So I, I agree. I mean, I, I said it before that 
I've travelled out to Ireland actually to to meet the provinces um, in the Irish Rugby Union when they had no teams in the last four. Mm. Well, mm. in the last we had five. We the English had five mm. in the last eight, didn't they? Mm. And there were no Irish teams. And I said, "We've we got a problem here." You know, apparently we have. And they just fixed me with a steely glare and said, uh, "Give us twelve months." Mm. Which uh, and and at the time I said, "Look, rugby people understand things go in peaks and troughs and yeah. cycles and." You can get a couple of bad years. So uh, back they came and look at them now. Mm. And I think the same for England uh, will recalibrate. The clubs will take a look at it. And, um, you know, it's fine margins. You talk about Exeter, you know, Bath and Wasps have had terrible injury scares and, and Leicester have, have been way off beam. But you, you, you don't think that's going to happen forever, do you? No. And in the meantime, as you say, Saracens is probably the team to beat. So uh, if they win the, the Heineken Champions Cup and... A cluster of really strong English sides contesting the Challenge Cup could clear that. They'll have to beat Clermont first, but if they do, suddenly you've got two English winners and who's complaining? So I think we'll just be a bit careful, a bit premature at this point. Nick, I mean, I know Quinns were part of a very, very competitive club. Was it sort of irksome when someone like Saracen suddenly appear with massive budgets and a different sort of club to everybody else and sort of come through to the top? There was no love loss um, for, <laughs> for a while between us. Um, and we had Connor at the helm for a majority of the time there. And they had Brendan Venter, who were, uh, you know, partnered up together, I think, in their early sort of head coach role at London Irish. So, and they had very different philosophies of playing. So did both clubs. I think that was part of it as well. Um, it, it is what it is uh, at the end of the day. And I think the more you start looking for excuses um, and feeling the victim, the less successful you're going to be. And actually, you just take the eye off. You know what you're trying to do, and sort of make progress, improve as a rugby player, um, as a team as well, and try and get some success. Well and said. It's just yeah. you know, and look, they do things differently. I think that's great. You know what I'm concerned about in the game at the moment. My deep concern from a playing perspective is the everyone playing the same way. You know, everyone having the same sort of system in attack, same system in defence, same area that they decide to run a mall or run a peel out of a mall and everything. And what I really enjoyed about three years ago when I first became defence coach at Quinns is analysing the premiership and how, and feeding back to the players and, and having the players involved is there was dif- different <coughs> nuances to each team. And the, the next year, it's all like, well, actually, they run r- roughly the same as what we've just analysed for the last four weeks, but he's the danger man, yada, 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 and <coughs> what have you. I think that's my biggest concern is, is teams not losing identity but the identity just being wholesome throughout isn't every team like it's like a clone of each other now yeah I agree and again yeah, Simon being here I often think I remember when Brian Ashton became the England coach yeah, everybody was playing very similar and I remember saying to Brian Ashton some of those old moves you used to do at Bath there'd be generations of players now who've never defended anything like that and I know I'm sounding a bit of an old fogey here but I said but you could run one of those moves and score a try you know at Twickenham against France and likewise in the Premiership. Well, you don't want to reinvent the wheel too much. I mean, you know, rugby's always been uh, had the same um, aspects to it, whether it be 50 years ago or today. Uh, you know, just because you train every day doesn't make you more inspirational as a player. And you know, the the, the surprise when, when people kind of celebrate the offloads, it always makes me smile because <laughs> I used to call it passing out of the tackle, which is one of those yeah, things yeah. That you try and do every time you moved into contact. But apparently, that's now something revolutionary. Well, look at the videos and. Uh, you know, Rassi 92 for me, they're unbelievable because they do everything. We talk about clones and sameness. There's nothing samey about Rassi. They go into every single contact looking to offload it. 
because they know that two out of three they'll do it and if they do they'll score tries two losers are bringing that back Toulouse into their game because yeah, yeah, that was yeah. obviously what they were Leinster can play it either way as, as Di Young said at the weekend so don't start thinking Leinster is a sort of a one one trick pony they can do everything no, but but uh, look Nick's point which I do agree with Nick are, you, are we talking about a sort of um, lack of inspiration in coaching there because if I was a if I was a, a brilliant coach I'd be looking for things like this is all so samey but now I'm going to do this because I'm going to put my team ahead because I'm going to do it different to everybody, anybody else. Isn't That's what you're always thinking. You want to be innovative. You want to be ahead of the curve. Um, you don't want to be following. But you've got to be very careful when you do that because mm. too much change, you're always mm. working with your lowest common denominator. And yeah. you know, and there's a lot of them actually in a squad of 45, 50. You know, the top players will get it straight away. But if there's other people not on the same page with 15 on the field, it breaks down. And, you know, Simon touched on it. Rugby's always, you know, it's the basics. Just mm. doing the basics really, really well wins you games but within that you've got to have certain plays or tricks up your sleeve or make them think you know a bit unpredictable make them think about that right put them out of their comfort zone they've got to change something then we can play how we usually play or something along those lines you are thinking about that as a coach but it's managing that time week on week and when you get it in you know amongst all the other stuff you've got to do Let's um, um, just carry on uh, talking about the, 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 the quarterfinals of the cup uh, of the Champions Cup um, Saracens uh, uh, played absolutely brilliantly. I'll just mention one guy. I mean, in the media, we are obsessed by certain people like Johnny Wilkinson, Danny Cipriani, etc. And Mario Toji is, is one of them. That he doesn't have to do anything to become the headline news. I hold my hand up and say it like like Harry Kane at football. But I thought he was a, a being from another planet on Saturday. Toji, I thought he was doing dumb stuff I I just never seen before, and just makes me wonder how good he can be, Nigel. No, I agree with you entirely because when you see someone on the pitch, you never know if they're sticking to you know a game plan they've been given. Because if you just saw a Toji in a pair of shorts, you'd think like you know. I bet you would probably like at school. You give him the ball, he'd run from one end to the other and score. And when he plays for England, he does what he's supposed to do: wins the line out, scrummages, hits the rucks, hits the ball, and doesn't carry as much. And as a fan, when you're watching him, you think, give him the ball, yeah, let him run it. And he seems to be doing that more now, doesn't he? Every you know, I, I've never been really on the Itoji bandwagon particularly um, but watching him on Saturday was exactly as you said Steve everything he did turned to gold you couldn't I couldn't mm. believe it that the, the pace of his tackling mm. he must have stripped four or five line outs mm. uh, you know d- d- even dummied and went and shaped to kick and didn't yeah, I mean yeah. what's going on here you know he was he was seriously out of this world and, and that's probably the first time I would have said that. Not because I don't know he's a world-class player, because he is. But on that day, he was untouchable. That, that's what he's really worked on, his ball-in-hand stuff. Right. He was always a destructive player. Boy, a great line-out forward, good over the ball, getting your face defensively. Is He's brought you know, an element of ball-playing or decision-making with the ball and carrying game. And I think that's what he's really you know, been a focus from, from the England coaches and the Saracens mm-hmm. coaches about adding it, because he's a tremendous athlete. I mean, I think the guy does pull-ups with 80 kilos. That's frightening, <laughs> you know, He's it? already, I don't know, 120 or something like that. So he's pulling up 200 kilos. Oh, don't. In reps, I'm talking about. Um, so he's an incredible athlete. And, you know, with, with the way the game's going, you know, you have to be a threat ball in hand. And yeah. who better than a guy who's 6'5", 120 kilos? Just, he's just, outstanding. Just talk about the semi-finals then, Nick. You, you're the uh, Glasgow coach. You've just th- thrown everything in your, in your armoury at Saracens you got ahead you played a great game but in the end you still lost by 20 points you've got to go down and do it again 
what do you do this time? Anything different, or is there any way you can win your lineouts? Yeah, that's yeah. what I'd say. Um, yeah. They they played they played really well. Even in the second half, there's a few just game control. Yeah, I think they just got carried away a little bit um, in the second half, didn't they? Trying to force it a little bit, yeah. um, searching for that four tries. You know, you need to win your lineouts, and that's ultimately where I think. They started to unravel a little bit. I mean, they had the attacking framework there with the nine running, you know, tying them in, spaces around there, which opened it up out wide. And Dave Rennie's a fantastic coach, you know, mm. and, and he'll have a, a keen eye for detail on any sort of flaws in the defensive system. But if your foundations aren't there, rock solid against a team like Saracens, you know, they'll put a squeeze on you and eventually, you know, they'll overrun you. And of course, um, Nigel, for this, to talk about quarterfinals briefly, with Owen Farrell back, that gives Saracens someone to say, look, he didn't play last time, now we're adding something. That makes him, gives him even more of sort of ironclad. Uh, yeah, but as Simon said earlier, you know, Glasgow weren't at full strength either. No. I mean, obviously, Saris are going to be favourites, especially at home, but if Glasgow can get, you know, their forwards back, they're still going to win with a shout, haven't they? OK, there's no top competition, Simon, in. there's no great year unless there's a great French team. Now, um, Racing and Toulouse are playing in a quarter-final, so there'll be at least one in the semi. But are either of those two... Rem- uh, well, let's put it another way. Are they anywhere near the levels of, say, Leinster and um, Saracens, or are they getting there? I we, think they're, we talk, We're talking about the way they play, which is yeah, fantastic. But, there are different stages of development, aren't there? I think if, in in the round, Toulouse is the first season where they've, they've really started to threaten because yeah, they've yeah. got rid of the old guard and they've got some incredible good young players. And they're probably delighted to be where they are at the moment they're doing really well in the top 14 as well so that their attitude is really refreshing probably a bit early given it takes time you know wrestling have been to two finals and lost both so you know they've probably got that to do they've got to get a bit of experience in the latter stages i think wrestling is ready uh now mm. leinster nullified them in the bilbao final and won a tight game but the, which but could have gone were way. well in it though they, they were, were well, well in it and they had their top two and fly out exactly yeah, so yeah. Pat Lammy got injured in the first five minutes with Carth not even starting hmm. if they start with people like Russell hmm. and Zebo on the pitch and they stay fit they can unravel anybody okay. and so I, I think it, it probably could be Racing's time and Leinster will fear them I think but um, you know outside of that of course Toulouse I think that the best French players within Toulouse and some of them within Racing, because obviously Racing is a very sort of cosmopolitan team, make me much more positive about France hmm. and their opportunity, even though they lost at home to Fiji. But you know what, Fiji's going to beat someone in the World Cup, aren't they? I mean, the players they've got, yeah. um, they're going to spring a surprise. So I'm actually quite bullish about French rugby. And there's one game, probably all four of them, is for with the good of the tournament at stake because Nigel we've had so many podcasts over the years where we're saying oh blimey Scotland are out of it Scotland the bottom then I'm going to club in Edinburgh at home to Munster which is a hellish hellish point on the journey but is that not a seminal match for the for the future of Scottish rugby leave alone Edinburgh yeah. If Edinburgh can get in the semi, it makes a lot of difference. And I'm sure that Richard Cockrell's just the man. He'll be absolutely loving that. If there's anyone that can plot the downfall of Munster, it's, yeah, it's going to be one up front, isn't it, Nick? Yeah. And Richard Cockrell is the man, and he's done a brilliant job there. He, he's, he's yeah, as you say, <laughs> couldn't put it better. He has been fantastic. Then he turned them, turned them around. They've got hard-nosed yeah. edge. He knows 
Simon, unfortunately, games are one up front. He's got the hardened pack there. <laughs> they got some tidy backs as well, though. They've got they? some great backs, yeah. and um, you know, no shortage of talent. Have they? You know, um, Hamish Watson, yeah. um, hmm. Billy Matter. Yeah, I mean, hmm. phenomenal. It, it, and as you mentioned, it, a lot in the backs as well. It's a great prospect quarterfinals. Um, really looking forward to it, and it's really nice that a, a body in rugby of officials has got themselves together, and instead of uh, picking the easy option, they've done the difficult one. So well done. You're listening to The Ruck. We'll be back in a minute. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just £3 for three months in our January sale. Search The Times subscription for more information. 
clearly started off like a steamroller, early success on tour, Grand Slam, then the Six Nations followed. Um, and he was probably not aware the sides were catching him up. You know, he got them fit, he gave them a clear game plan, you know, very, very direct physical. Billy Vanapola was a big part of that as well. It was no secret when he got injured, performances mm. sort of dropped off. But um, last year, you know, he found out a little bit more. You know, a lot of the rest of the world sort of caught up, overtook them briefly. Um, but he's actually, I think he's happened upon in the autumn. Now, I know the pack's going to be different, but he happened upon a real workmanlike, no egos type of work, a pack, you know, throughout that autumn series. You know, had to bring these guys in. You know, Ben Moon, I thought was fantastic. Yeah. Dan Exeter, Mark Wilson, you know, Sam Under, I know he's injured for the, um, for the Six Nations. And I think finally, finally, despite a number of discussion, especially from you guys around the table and the columns you write and everything, we realise that to win a World Cup, you need uh, well, you need to be good at the breakdown. You need a breakdown specialist, at least one of them, in the back row. You look throughout, you know, Michael Jones, yeah. you know, David mm. Wilson, mm. Neil, our very own Neil back, Richie McCaw, obviously yeah. twice. Yeah. You know, um, Simon Poyd have been back in the day. Every single side, you know, Doucetois in the final in 2011, Pocock and Hooper in the final last time. It's like it's staring you in the face how important yeah, this yeah, right. game is. <laughs> And he's now got it. You know, Tom Curry, Underhill, Wilson, guys there that made a huge difference. You know, they're playing South Africa. Everyone thought, oh, Malcolm Marks is going to make four or five turnovers. Didn't see him mm. at all. The All Blacks wasn't a problem at the mm. breakdown. Okay. Um, and two excellent breakdown sides. And I think he's realised how important that area is instead of going with the six and a halfs and let's make everyone big ball carriers because you've got to be good on the floor. Um, but to come back to your point, I think it's bubbling nicely. You f- find out a lot more about yourself in defeat and adversity. He's had that year. I don't think they'll win the Six Nations. Uh, I think going away to Wales and Ireland will be a little bit too much. Uh, I don't think there'll be a Grand Slam winner anyway. I know you're going to ask that question probably mm. later. Um, mm. But I think the timing's perfect in terms of getting his big men back. Um, Tua Lange's actually, I think he might actually play for the first time under Eddie Jones. Um, or start a game for the first time, Eddie Jones. I think it's it's the timing is crucial at the moment. Can Simon, we'll come to you in a second about that's the, the the back play of the team from nine to fifteen. But now, now, do you share share the optimism? Yeah, uh, I Nick's, do, Nick's optimism. I think you know. I think Ed is in a great place because we've played so much without some of the players he would start with. You know, like Billy Vunapola and of course Tuilagi. And I think the results he's had secretly. You can look at, you know, you can sit at home and you can say to yourself, when I get those boys back, we build on that. And you don't want to peak too soon. I mean, we were fantastic that tour in Australia, but you always think to win the World Cup, you need the best team in the world for about three weeks, don't you? It's no good being the best team, you know, two years out. I think we're in a good place. Well, well, well what about <clears throat> the only time that England have ever won it? Clive Woodward said they want to go into the tournament as number one ranked team, which he did. He took the rest of the world to the cleaners. They were so confident when they got there. I remember saying, thinking before the World Cup and writing, England are going to win, going to win this. Isn't that not, not better than going in half soaked and having lost half your previous 10 games? You'd prefer to be, and if we'd have gone in half soaked with a full strength side, then I'd be a bit more worried, wouldn't you, Nick? But okay. when you've got so many good players coming back, I think you've got reasons to be cheerful. So, Simon, um, uh, let's the, the, talk about England's midfield. I mean, they've had about almost one combination per match in the last five years. W- w- when it all shakes down, as Nick says, Tulang is now back and he's He's, he's available to play, whether or not they pick him or not. Where would you see Eddie going in 10, 12, 13 for a start? Yeah, it's it's a tough one because it, you haven't seen enough combinations for long enough to be able to 
to see what really genuinely works. But I, I've always believed you need mix. And so I'd either... First of all, I think they've, they've worked out Farrell should be 10. And I've, I've thought that for a while, mm. that you should pick him at 10, not at 12. And if you, if you do that, then I, don't, I think people are obsessed with inside-outside. Just play, play two guys who complement each other, and then they can work it out, you know, left and right, if you like. So I would have Slade. I think he's earned the right. Um, he needs to get more ball, and he doesn't often get it in, in the spaces where he can do some damage. And then either Tio or Tiolagi. I don't think you play the two of them together. I genuinely don't. There's just no point. There's, no, there's not enough mix between them. As a defender, you need to look in front of you and think, I'm not quite sure what that guy's going to do. Or I'm not quite sure what patterns he's going to run. You need to create uncertainty in defence. There's no uncertainty if you've got Tia and Tuilagi together. You know exactly what they're going to do. Run straight at you. So I think, I think that's his, his number one midfield now. Um, it, it could have been something else another time, but th- we don't have any time. I think those are the three players he should focus on. Nick, Dick, if you've been a regular with England over the last couple of years, as a forward, especially number eight, don't you just beg for the day when you know who your ten's going to be and you know he's going to be your ten for the season and you can play with him? It must be very difficult to switch in any in any position when your ten's always changing. Well, of course he is. I mean, he's your quarterback, isn't he? Um, and uh, it speaks for itself because he drives the team, he calls the plays, um, he's got a certain area of strengths compared to another 10 possibly and, and your game plan revolves around that a majority of the time. Not all, you know, not all the time, but a majority of your game plan will revolve around the strengths of your number 10. And I fully agree with Simon, you know, that's who my um, midfield would be. Um, play your best players in your best position, please. You know, Mario Toji, not in the back row. You know, he's a second row. We've got strong second rows. Utilise that. Okay. We've got fantastic back rows. Um, and Owen Farrell at 10. And certainly against Ireland, Mike Brown at fullback, please, as well. Nigel? Yeah, I'd go along with that. you go along with Brown, Farrell, Itoji in second row. Uh, yeah, and it's an interesting one. Again, I'd, I, Nick said it, and, you know, with Brownie... I feel sorry for Alex Good, but he probably is the bloke against Ireland. Would you play him if you were playing the All Blacks in a World Cup final? Would he be your man, Nick? Uh, yeah, he would be my man. I mean, you know what a guy gives. His tenacity, his, um, you know, his defence, his kicking game. He'll always break that first tackle. Look, we know there's some limitations in terms of the passing game and everything, but the guy is the ultimate competitor. The other thing is, Eddie's not stupid, right? Yeah. And he's done bloody well at World Cups. You know, he got yeah, to the final yeah. with... Probably not the best second Austra- best team in the world when we won in 03. He was a consultant in 07 and 01. We know what he did with Japan. He's mm. periodised and tactically periodised where he wants to be. Yeah. So that's another reason to be confident. But on that, he also knows you need a certain number of caps. So, yeah. you know, South Africa weren't the number one team in the world in 2007 and Australia in 99 <laughs> when they went into World Cup, unlike him in 03. But they had a hell of a lot of experience and they knew what their team was. Awesome. And that back three without <laughs> Malik Brown doesn't have that experience in yeah. terms of caps I'm not saying it's the, not the yeah, best yeah, back yeah. three but they don't have that experience in terms of caps also I don't know what they're like in South Africa but I've said it before like with daily you know people you know we're probably guilty of it so good at looking at what people can't do <laughs> rather than look at what they can do and they've got so many strengths yeah I'd, I'd agree on that point I think we're slightly turning though to look more towards the positive which is good our weekly award god or goddess of the week we'll start with you Nigel who's absolutely overwhelmed you this week well, he overwhelms me on a regular basis. I think he's such a skillful player. I covered a game at Saracens once where the ball got kicked ahead. It was bobbling horribly. And Alex Good stubbed it with his toe. It came up on the full. He caught it and ran it back. 
and he's just such a skillful player and I I didn't realise but I spoke to him afterwards I said did you do that on purpose and he said yes and I found out he played for Ipswich Town as a schoolboy and to stand in at fly half for Saris and steer them through to the quarterfinals Alex Good is my my god of the week god of the week Simon well first of all I'm not doing anything this weekend because I've had two long weekends of European rugby so a bit of a time out um, oh, I, I'm, what a jacket! Yeah, we, 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 we were all at rugby last week and this week. That. I'm sorry about that. Okay, the, the okay. pace is at the pace in the committee yeah. room is a bit too much for you. No, no, I just I've got some domestic stuff to do. No, I'm right, okay. watching something. <laughs> all right, I perhaps slightly left field, and uh, Nick Nick will be a bit surprised, but I'm going to go for someone from the back row, right? Because I think he's probably now the best flanker in the world, bar none. The man from Munster. Omani. Hmm. I just think he has turned himself into some sort of legend where the, I love the look on his face. I love, it reminds me of some of the boys from Bath. When the, when the boys from Bath in the back row got angry, we knew we were in a good place. And he has that. And I think if England can neutralise him, then they've got a good chance of winning in Dublin. But uh, he's the key to so much. So that's my... God of the week. Very good, very good, mm. very good. I'm, my God of the week isn't a player, it's a coach um, of a Scottish team, Edinburgh. I think he's turned them around. Uh, Richard Cockrell, uh, you know, showing what a class class operator he is, um, even with that short stint at Toulon. We know what he did at Leicester. Um, and he's now reaping the rewards, or they're, they're getting the rewards and the benefit of his outstanding rugby mind and ethos. Um and he could possibly be a candidate. You never know after the World Cup for uh, the, the England job if he wants it. But uh, you know, not getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, maybe Richard Cockrell. Why not? Okay. Why not? Okay. Well, and, and great to see coaches, England coaches, going to different places to ply their trade. Absolutely. Nick, Nick Easter going off to South Africa. You know, more England coaches should do that to absolutely. gather more experience. Absolutely. Uh, mine would be. Um, I always told you, very difficult to get beyond him. I usually have Harry Kane, but Barnsley's um, told me not to have a. Tottenham footballer this week and he didn't play anyway um, Nigel um, unlike Hallers you've still got some energy for rugby this weekend yeah I'm really looking forward to it although it's hard not to look ahead the following week in England Ireland in Dublin you know, no, that's, uh, you've got to take one game at a time Nick where, where, where will you be rugby wise this week uh, rugby wise I think I'm going to go down to my first coaching club which is Wimbledon in my last few years playing and uh, they've got a top of the table clash down the road so I think oh, I might put myself down there a few beers in the clubhouse but, you know, bit, of a, bit of amateur fantastic. stuff Hallers you, we can pass by because you're going to have a week off Two weeks on the road has done you. you it's years not just ago, two weeks on the road. Years ago, you could have done that. It's 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 six matches. It's not just two weeks. Oh, Remember, right, okay. Europe is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Okay, all right. But, look, if there's a, if there's an amateur, perhaps Isha are playing at home this weekend. Perhaps I'll go and watch them. Okay. Well, I'm if going to nice. I'm going to football. I'm going, there's no big rugby on, so I'm going to Middlesbrough against Newport in the FA Cup. Oh my God! Oh, this is my reporter. You can't say I'm not going to the war. I want to go to the war over there. I can't, I'm not going to Vietnam. I want the war to be in Paris. Isn't that where Rory it's reporting. Play, didn't he play for Middlesbrough? Yes, he did. I think he did, yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. No, that was, that was rugby, though, I think. That's a long yeah. way away. Yeah. No. You've got to get in the paper somehow. Thank you very much, guys. Um, Nick, we just wish you all the very best. Um, we'd love you to come back and, and hear about your experiences on um, Super Rugby because, as Nigel says, that is a real major, major thing to do. And isn't it amazing how few people have gone gone and tried it? Mm, yeah. Nice. Good luck with um, the next big one. And Simon, um, 
Wish you a happy rest and uh, more activity and congratulations on the tournament so far. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with Owen. Owen.